This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Now is not the time to think about how many goals you're going to end up with. Uh, as long as you concentrate and focus on the next job, next job at hand, training tomorrow. Of course, he only played 30 minutes, so there's uh, one step at a time. And uh, if you get too far ahead of yourself, uh, that's just going to lose, you're going to lose focus. I think uh, Marcus has showed that he can keep focusing on what's important, both on and off the, uh, off the pitch at the moment. So he did really well today, of course, coming off the bench. We had to rest a few players, and I think the ones who came in did brilliant. Um, we had to work hard for this, because uh, they really made us work hard off the ball, on the ball as well, because the count, the pressure, the intensity of, of their play was incredible. And uh, after 2-0, they open up and they, they go for the goals and the spaces open up for our uh, fresh legs because we have fresh legs out there and um, of course it's a, it's a very good uh, to know for the players that we have a strong squad to pick from On the Ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9 that was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer speaking after Man United made light work of the German league leaders in the Euro, Europa, Europa, UEFA Champions League. Get it right? Sorry, I put the false teeth in. It is Friday evening. Hello there. I'm Ross. Uh, you know you can tweet us whilst we're on air. Tweet uh, at BFM Radio. Also follow us on social media. It's BFM Football uh, on Instagram and on Facebook as well. Two very special guests joining me this Friday evening. Bob Holmes is here. Hello, Bob. Hi, everybody. Bob, are you happier now that Chris Hewton's in charge of Nottingham Forest? Do you see a bit of improvement? I am. Um, yeah. Uh, we haven't lost under him. I know. That's, uh, that's an improvement. <laughs> not scoring many goals, not winning many, but it's a definite improvement on the, uh, on the previous guy. Yeah. Stuff. There you go. We start with a championship update. How about that? Keishan and is also here. Hello, Keish. Hey Ross, you, you you called a special guest, but the question that really begs for an answer is are we as special as Marcus Rashford though? I just, is anyone as special as Marcus Rashford, really? I, I think <laughs> that's where we should start. I mean, uh, Champions League, uh, Wednesday game, Group H, Manchester United 5, RB, Leipzig, nil. Um, Keish, let, let, let's give credit where it's due. Before we get into Marcus Rashford, I thought Ole got his tactics right. He played a diamond in midfield. He kind of had two forwards. Well, kind of, I say, because they were really, they were really no two forwards. But we saw a change of formation. We saw slicker, quicker football. We saw Van der Beek given a, a start as well. Um, has he turned the corner tactics-wise? You think? No, but that's the thing, Ross. I think he's always sort of had that in him, that that, that tactical ability at least. I think the one thing that Ole has definitely sort of improved, or at least showed us a lot more. Because I think it's naive to say that he doesn't have it in him. He's he's a he's a pretty decent manager, better than what people make him to be. But what I, what I think he has improved in, or what he has showed us a lot more in the last couple of weeks, is in game management. Because the key word, like you mentioned, is tactics. I think what he showed us that he's able to have multiple different versions of tactics within the space of ninety minutes. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. the one that's been helping them tremendously in the last couple of weeks especially in the games against PSG where you know he moved from from having 433 
he, he uh, sorry from playing 532 he, he evolved it into a diamond eventually and, and this evolution within the 90 minutes is what helps him manage games and and get big results and trust me that smashing five goals past leipzig is not an easy feat i mean leipzig are one of the most ex- exceptional sides in in german football and they are they have got one of the most tactically smart young coaches in in, in europe as well in julian nagelsmann and just the weekend before i i, I mean i had i commented on on leipzig's game in in, in the bundesliga and mm-hmm. they were brilliant over the exactly opamecano was absolutely yep. brilliant yep. and he scored a goal even in that game and and here he was being completely outplayed by by united the entire defense looking like they had barely any idea in terms of so what to do. are you are you um, saying so right that, now are you yeah. are you saying that opamecano has just failed his man united audition no 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 that's not what i'm saying i think it'll be, i think it'll be extremely naive to judge a player's uh, you know entire ability based on on one game all i'm saying is that we know the amount of quality that leipzig have we know the amount of quality that opamecano has as a player and to see united do this to leipzig and to see what marcus rashford inflicted upon opamecano was absolutely brilliant yeah i i i agree um bob holmes it's a big shame when the the most attacking from the visitors came from julian nagelsmann's suit uh yeah um well kish just said that uh, they had a smart manager he's certainly a smart dresser isn't he um <laughs> well let's put smart it, in inverted commas for now it, it was yeah. the only thing that shone on on their side though wasn't it the <laughs> the whole night i think um i think ollie uh was a bit fortunate uh to get away with this i mean all credit to him but he took a hell of a gamble with that starting side but what you did see though the the advantage of that is when you do bring on the big battalions in the second half it makes your squad depth look really impressive mm. and to see bruno fernandez i mean they're already one up and then bruno fernandez marcus rashford and then cavani and twanzibi later on come on the field you know i mean that wow you're suddenly looking at united in a slightly different light i think I they actually have a bit of depth and they have a nice mix of youth and experience i mean you have you have the, the youngsters there obvious uh, rashford and uh, twanzibi among others and then you have cavani coming on and he hardly had a kick and he's hardly had a kick yet in his united career but all the reports are that his attitude and his fitness are absolutely top top notch and he looks as if he's going to be more of a henrik larsson or uh, uh who's the other great old center forward they had uh, zlatan of course mm. zlatan mm-hmm. that type rather than a, a falcao yeah. or a sanchez um that that's that's the first impression and that's before he's even scored a goal but that's getting back true. to rashford um wow he seems to have grown in confidence um i mean there were people saying that he might be distracted by this um campaign that he's carrying out but on the other hand he seems to have grown in stature and it's the confidence he had on the field was just fantastic and he had the good sense to carry on with the first goal uh the first of his goals with the offside flag 
being frantically waved and the and the linesman forgetting that he was actually in his own half. But it's hilarious. The, I, I was but, I mean, shouting I do at the, the telly. I, I do cut the line. at the telly going, he was in his own half. <laughs> this is what VAR does to them. It I mean, does. it's destroying these yeah. these officials. I do have a bit of sympathy, so, especially Bob, for if, the if, linesman. If play, if play had stopped halfway through, then there would have been no goal to for for VAR to correct. Do you know what I mean? Because the linesman no had goal. his flag up, right? And, and any any of the RB Leipzig mm, players no could goal. have just stopped. No, yeah, yeah, no goal, no hat trick to talk about. Um, possibly no victory. Uh, it was only one nil at that stage. Um, so yeah, the, yeah. But after that, I mean, his finishing was absolutely lethal, wasn't it? And uh, Opa Meccano, um, we've been lauding him. I've been lauding him in the press as well. I reckon Rashford knocked twenty million off his price tag with that performance. <laughs> That's but he saved he, he saved Ed Woodward some money then maybe. That's what if they, if they still does. go for him. Yeah. <laughs> All right, brilliant. More about Marcus Rashford and Manchester United later. Uh, midweek Champions League, it was 14 English Premier League 14 UEFA Champions League nil. Because Chelsea also had a big win. Uh, they went to Russia. In fact, uh, Roman was there watching. Uh, Krasnodar nil, Chelsea four. This was a Hakim Ziyech-inspired victory, Kish, and we always knew Ziyech had it in him, right? Do you know what I mean? He's it's been one of the most underrated players. It was just a case of when was he going to sign for a big club? Yeah, it, it was always that. That's exactly it, Ross. Uh, it was always a case of when he was going to sign for a big club. I uh, mean, it wasn't surprising to see the level of of uh, confidence that he had on the pitch and the way he just played with the with the swagger that made him one of the most sought-after talents with Ajax. I think that's that's what separates Hakim Ziyech from the rest. He's almost got the swagger on the pitch that allows him to operate at, at a level where he sees things before everyone else. And he plays with that air of confidence that makes him look like he's not even sprinting on the pitch. And that, that Hakim Ziyech is a brilliant player. Uh, and I think this was a much-needed win um, for, for Chelsea. Lampard has been coming under the fire a little bit in the last couple of weeks. He hasn't helped himself with some of the things he has said in the press as well about, about him you know, being treated unfairly and all that jazz. But um, ultimately, it, it, it's from an offensive standpoint, this is exactly what was expected of Chelsea when all those players came into the picture. Your, your Kai Havertz, your, your Hakim Ziyech. Um, and, and to see it click and, and smash four past Krasnoda was brilliant. Um, then the question mark becomes, you know, it, when you switch back to the Premier League, which I'm sure we'll talk about it later, um, then the question mark becomes about, about uh, that defence. Uh, but, mm. uh, you know, Mendy looked great um, mm. in, in this game as well. Pulled off a couple of important saves. And I think he gives, gives, gives them a bit of assurances at the back. But it's that, it's that front four, really. Um, that, that front four looked pretty terrific uh, against Krasnoda. £160 million worth of talent. Uh, when, when ZH plays, he does take the pressure off Havertz and Co. So it really does work. All right, let, let's move on. More about Chelsea later. Man City, Bob, look like things have clicked in their 3-0 win against Marseille in Group C. Um, in typical Pep fashion, he played with no centre-forward. <laughs> Ferran Torres was, was, I guess, the number nine in a roving number nine. But, I mean, they look good. This was City of all, Kevin De Bruyne running the show. Yeah, uh, a bit more like uh, the old City, absolutely. Um, Marseille, no mugs. Um, 
And to go there, of course, no crowd, of course, but uh, Marseille never considered an easy place to go, mm. whether there's anybody there or not. Um, under Andre Vs Boas, of course, uh, outplayed them totally. And uh, I think that was a real confidence boost for City and, and for Pep uh, because things have not been going that well. Uh, they've been stumbling along quite a bit and Pep has still not signed his contract. So every time City drop points, I think City fans always worry, oh, though, he, he, won't, be, he won't be staying on, you know. Um, whereas this was a more reassuring performance altogether. And they did it without uh, either Aguero or Jesus up front, as you said, no centre forward. Uh, they didn't seem to bother them. No. And during the, their great couple of years when they won the league twice, uh, they often played without a centre forward, mm. if you remember. Mm. Um, I mean, they were Aguero and Jesus have always been picking up injuries, um, but they managed brilliantly. You never noticed their absence during those two years, and you didn't notice it the other night. So that's a very good sign for City. Yeah, very good win for City. More about them when we preview the league uh, at the weekend. Uh, on to Group D then, where Liverpool beat FC Midtjylland 2-0. It was a shadow Liverpool side. Quiche, they weren't good to look at. <laughs> um, but another injury, this time to Fabinho. Yeah, um, it, it, it was a pretty... I think it was a bittersweet night for Liverpool. Um, getting that win was important and they have to, to be able to get that win whilst keeping a clean sheet was, was important for, for, for Jurgen Klopp. Uh, but then losing Fabinho wasn't exactly... You could see the reaction of the players as well. You could see, you know, it, it almost like it, the, the players through their facial reactions, they were just saying, are, are you kidding me? Are, are we doing this again? Like, you know, having lost Van Dijk. And you could see on the touchlines as well, Jurgen Klopp himself was instantly concerned about it. Um, but, but what, what's the fair, news? When, when... What's the news? Is it ACL or is it just a hamstring? No, 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 no. Hamstring. A hamstring okay, it's no. a hamstring injury. But he's likely uh, to miss the City game. At least yeah. three weeks out, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's a couple of weeks out, and it puts a bit, bit continued strain on the Liverpool defense. But Williams, uh, the young centre back who came on, I thought yeah. did pretty well. Granted, it was against Midtjylland, but he looked assured at the back. Um, he, he, he was confident in winning your aerial battles. He He's got the height as well, um, and 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 he looked pretty decent. But from 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 Liverpool's standpoint, given all the 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 things that have happened in the last three or four weeks, the injury, um, the draw against Everton, you know, it, it, things not falling into place in multiple situations. But for them to have won both their games in the first two games of the Champions League, to have also won their Premier League game over the weekend, um, and and continued to look assured at the back despite not having Van Dyke. I think it's it's been a great, um, I think maybe 14 days for Liverpool, yeah. great week and a half for, for Liverpool so far. And it's just about building on from this. Okay, well, all eyes on, on how Liverpool yeah. are going to set up at the back this weekend. Sorry, Bob. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, they've got to choose between uh, either three relative kids youngsters. 20, uh, Phillips is actually 23 years old. He's older than Gomez, Nat Phillips. But uh, three who've barely been tried at top level or two old stagers in Milner or Henderson, yeah. who both at a pinch can play centre-back, but you'd, you'd rather they didn't. 
All right. Oh, Liverpool fans would anyway. <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to see what's probably the best solution in the league this weekend for Liverpool. We're off for our first break. Uh, we'll talk Europa League and preview uh, the EPL weekend for you next. That's it. It's all over. This is a big win. On the ball on BFM 89.9 has come up with uh, something beyond the ordinary. That is a brilliantly elastic save. This is On The Ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Bob Holmes, Kishnan here on a Friday evening, looking forward to round seven of the EPL season. There's been a marked decrease in the number of goals in the Premier League. Uh, you, last weekend, it was 1.9 goals per game, down point down from 3.5 goals per game, suggesting that clubs are finally starting to gain some control over the chaos. It's a brand new EPL season. Uh, we're going to look at uh, some of the big games for you now. There is a Friday night game. Tell you about that later. But let's start with Sheffield United, who are second. From bottom, they take on 13th place, Man City. Yeah, City in the bottom half. This is your early Saturday evening kickoff. Uh, Bob Sheffield suffering five single goal defeats in the opening six games. And now they've got City. (laughs) And we saw how good City were in the Champions League. Poor old Sheffield United. Yeah, um, they were favourites to go down last season. Um, until they defied logic and uh, actually flirted with a place in Europe for a while. Um, but this season, um, it's looking as if they, they are relegation candidates. Um, I somehow think that they'll scrape by because I think their manager, uh, Chris Wilder, is a very astute cookie. And Kish was talking about in-game management earlier. Uh, Wilder can do that. I think that's a real test of a manager. Can adjust. Um, I mean, we've uh, we've not seen so much of the overlapping centre backs as we yeah. did last season, and uh, which is a bit of a surprise because I think the uh, the way the uh, the attackers have been playing, they could do with some overlapping, but because their problem is they just can't score. And they've taken a gamble with uh, Rian Brewster from uh, Liverpool. They've actually bought him uh, £23.5 million. And he, he looked completely out of sorts um, in his, on his debut at Anfield. Um, debut for Sheffield United. Of course, he's played at Anfield before. But I don't know whether he was just overawed because he was playing against Liverpool or, or what. But to invest that kind of money on a youngster who's hardly played uh, in the Premier League. I mean, he did okay in the Championship, playing for Swansea on loan. Mm. But the Premier League is a different kettle of fish. And to be relying on him to get your goals is a big ask. I hope, for his sake and Sheffield United's sake, that he does come good. He may just need a bit of time. But really, they have this terrible problem of not being able to score. Their defence isn't bad. Their keeper's not bad. I think they've replaced uh, Henderson quite well with uh, Alan Ramsdale from Bournemouth, who's a Sheffield boy anyway. He's not let them down. But when you can't score, the pressure just builds. Even if your defence is, is, is playing well, 
the pressure builds. You never get that goal to relieve it. And eventually you, you concede. And that's what's happening to Sheffield United. Well, that's why it's always one goal. That's yeah. the difference for them. So uh, it doesn't look good. And I think they're going to rely heavily on the wits of Chris Wilder coming up with some sort of formation. Um, and maybe once he's settled in, Brewster will find his shooting boots. But um, it, I think they're looking at Fulham and West Brom and maybe another club and thinking, well, we're better than them, so therefore we can stay up. But they've got to score some goals to do it. They do. And it's a big ask against this Man City side with or without a striker, Keish. If Riyad Mahrez either scores or assists in this game, that would make it 100 goal involvements in the Premier League. And he will become only the sixth African player to do that. That's no mean feat. Yeah, I was having a, having a discussion with a friend the other day uh, about Borian Mares and whether he has completely fulfilled his potential um, as a player since leaving Leicester. Because obviously at Leicester, he was looked at as this as this individual who was taken the Premier League by storm at that point, a couple of seasons, you know, playing really well. But then that that move to Man City was supposed to be the step up where it was it was about seeing whether he could cope at the highest level. I mean, when you look at this at, at the stats, the thing about Mares is it's super easy to be deceived by the fact that because of the wealth of talent available at Man City, it is very easy to to look at Mares and say that oh, he's a super sub. Pep doesn't trust him as much. He's not a compelling player. But when you look at per ninety per ninety minute statistics comparisons of of Mares with every other attacker across the board at Man City, he's right up there. Over the last three seasons, he's been super consistent in a lot of these metrics. And he's right up there with your Sterlings, with your Bernardo Silvas, with your Kevin De Bruyne's as well when it comes to creating chances. Um, so, um, Mares has dramatically improved uh, uh, as a player. We just don't see the glaring, uh, obvious part of it because he's in a team like City where there's so much of quality all over the yeah. park. Yeah. So one player being impressive is not exactly an impressive thing when you've got Kevin De Bruyne five seconds later pinging a pass halfway across the pitch, you know, playing that diagonal. But but Morris has been great. Um, and, and I think this year with with your Gabriel Jesus and your Sergio Aguero's struggling for fitness, a player like Morris becomes even, even more important. All right. Well, it's a 7.30 p.m. kickoff. On Saturday evening, Sheffield United in 19th against 13th place Manchester City. Second place Liverpool entertain 12th place West Ham. This one is at Sunday, half past one. So your late Saturday game. Bob, Liverpool looking to win their fourth game on the bounce in all competitions. You'd expect the big guns to return for this one, not start on the bench. But uh, yeah, I mean, let's not talk about West Ham yet. Liverpool, uh, defensively, what do you think they're going to go with we'll, at the back? Uh, would you go with Henderson, Milner or one of the young kids? Well, I think the uh, Liverpool have actually had a bit of good news. Uh, and I don't just mean that Fabinho is uh, not as serious as first feared. I mean that Antonio is not going to play for West Ham. And I think that's, that will be a big factor in Jurgen Klopp's thinking. Um, I, I was dreading that, uh, thinking of the havoc that Mikhail and Antonio could cause uh, a, 
a raw, fledgling uh, Liverpool central defence, whoever he decides to pick. But he's not playing, he's out for a month. So I think Jurgen Klopp would have breathed a huge sigh of relief at that. And, and I think he can now consider, seriously consider, one of the youngsters. And Reese Williams, I think, is the obvious one. Mm. Uh, he's, uh, he's quite young, but he has played twice in the Champions League already this season. So it's not as if he's not familiar with his teammates or anything like that. You're not dragging him up from the youth team. And he has got quite a bit of potential. He's tall, can head a ball, and he can also pass a ball. And he's not Van Dyke, but he, I think he can do a passable job in the interim. And uh, the alternatives are uh, Nate Phillips, who was on loan at Stuttgart last season. Um, not a bad player, but lacking in pace. That's his big weakness. And they were prepared to let him go for that reason. But he couldn't find a buyer. Um, so he's not actually registered for the Champion League, Champions League squad, Phillips. But he can play in the Premier League. Um, and the other one is Cumetio. Billy Cumetio is only 17, but a real hot prospect, a French guy, very powerful physically, even at 17. But it would be a big ask to put him in um, right now. I think that might, that might be rushing things a bit, Give him, put him on the bench, maybe bring him on for a few minutes at the end, uh, something like that. So Klopp does have options. And then, of course, there are the old guys of Henderson and and Milner, mm. um, if, if he's really struggling. So, yeah, um, against the West Ham without Mikel Antonio um, is a different kettle of fish. And I think that Liverpool will maintain this uh, form. Salah is to go, uh, even if Firmino is not quite at it yet. Amani is there. So I, I, I foresee a, a fairly comfortable win uh, for Liverpool, despite the injury problems. Yeah, Keish, if Antonio doesn't doesn't make it, it is going to be massive. But we're, we're, we're maybe giving David Moyes not enough credit here because he's looking to stretch West Ham's unbeaten Premier League run to five games. West Ham United, yeah? Uh, are we sure that against City the other day that it was... <laughs> The actual Moyes on the touchline. It wasn't like a hologram. It wasn't like a hologram of him or something along those lines, right? Uh, I mean, I think Bob makes a great point. Uh, Mikel Antonio was absolutely brilliant. In fact, he has been brilliant since Project Restart. Not just mm. um, the, the new season. He was absolutely terrific during Project Restart. I think he scored something along the lines of like six to eight goals in, in a short span of games. He was he was great. But let's not forget that West Ham could potentially have a side Ben Rama. And, yeah. and and Ben yeah, good point. with his pace, with his pace, if he has adjusted to the to, to you know West Ham style of play, if he has uh, built that understanding with a couple of his teammates, I think with the pace that he has, running at at, at the kind of uh, defense that you know that makeshift defense that Liverpool would have at the moment, uh, that caused a lot a lot of problems for them. Um, it's still not it's it, it. I mean, having Antonio there would have been so much better for West Ham. But him being out, uh, I, I don't think the game is over just yet. I think there's enough quality in this West Ham side to cause problem for that for that uh, for Liverpool. The, the, the only concern for West Ham is obviously trying to keep it tight at the back because there's no point if if you can exploit 
Liverpool's defence and you know grab one or two, but then you can see three and four at the back doesn't really help your case anyway because the Liverpool's offence will come for you in the form of uh, Mane, Salah. And now you've got someone like Jota firing on all cylinders. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. With that, yeah. All right. Uh, Second place, 12. uh, Liverpool versus West Ham is Sunday, 1.30 a.m. We're off for our second break. I was going to say first break. You stick with us. We're back with more right after this. This is On The Ball on BFM 89.9. We wondered if he'd make a difference. Tell you what, the beats all ends up, doesn't he? Stay on the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. On the ball on a Friday evening with Bob and Kishnan. You can tweet at BFM Radio. You can follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. We also have a YouTube channel up and running it is tfif on video do check it out and give us a subscribe aston villa against southampton is third versus seventh this one is a sunday 8 p.m kickoff the saints uh bob holmes have taken a staggering 28 points from 15 matches played behind closed doors that's eight wins four draws and only three losses after a Slightly dodgy start. We've seen Ralph Hassenhuttle's team come good, haven't we? Yeah. Um, I wonder what that tells us um, about the psychology of the players. I'm sure the boffins will be examining it. Um, we, we've had all sorts of theories about crowds, uh, the influ- influence of crowds and no crowds on players. Uh, I mean, it was basically the reason for the strange results, wasn't it? But this is, this is really weird. Um, I mean, it, it makes you wonder how they're going to be when crowds return. Um, you know, I mean, just uh, how do you explain it? Is it a coincidence? But anyway, um, it's there. It's in, the, it's in the record books. And it looks as if Southampton are going to have a decent season. I mean, last week when they 2 0 Everton, that was a decent performance as well, right? I mean, Ward Prowse was superb. Yeah, yeah, it was. They're, they're underrated, under, under the radar, underrated. And I think uh, Hassan Huttle is, uh, is fairly underrated as well. Um, he's, he is getting the, the credit now. I think people realize that he is, he is quite something. And to recover from that 9-0 drubbing by Leicester. I mean, that was a low point. And most clubs would have sacked the manager and sacked the tea lady as well. But uh, they stuck by him. And since then, uh, they've got a very, very good record. And um, I mean, I don't think they're quite uh, good enough for the Europa League qualification. But they're certainly going to be mid-table. They'll have no worries about um, uh, relegation. Um, and they've got Danny Ings, I mean, um, a real predator. I mean, there's a, a 20 goals a season man yeah. right away, isn't there? Yeah. When you've got that, when you've got somebody like him, who's a real pickpocket, a real old-fashioned poacher in the sort of Ian Rush, Gary Lineker mold, you know, doesn't score that many from distance, you know, doesn't, you know, he doesn't win goal of the season very often. But he'll get them in off his backside, the rebounds off the keeper in the six-yard box, that type of thing. 
team. And he's, uh, he's won an England cap um, through that, deservedly so. Yeah. For Aston Villa, Keish, um, it was, uh, <clears throat> uh, well, I'm not going to say soul-destroying, but they lost to Leeds last time out. And that was bad. Uh, maybe they underestimated Leeds, but it's important for them to, to get some sort of result here. Oh, Ross, I don't think anyone underestimates Leeds at this point. Uh, I, I, I think you... I, I did. Think, <laughs> no, but I, I think these days you go and face Leeds completely knowing what they're going to come at you with and you still lose. And you still can see... <laughs> um, don't get me wrong. I, I know they, they lost 3-0, but I honestly didn't think they were that bad. I don't think they were as bad as the scoreline suggested. Um, you, you know, you... You, you look at the goals that they conceded. Uh, I think the second and the third goal was just pure individual brilliance from Patrick Bamford. And I think there's very little that could have been done by, by the Villa keeper or, or, or defence in that sense. But, but other than that, they, they caused Leeds a lot of problems. Uh, I felt that having watched... I, I've watched every single Leeds game this season. And I thought Villa were one of the few teams that have been able to sort of replicate that intensity to some extent that Leeds provided on the pitch. And they had a go at Leeds as well every now and then. They just couldn't convert chances on the other end. So the, all is not over. I think I think Dean Smith would, would have looked at that game and said that, yeah, yeah, we conceded three goals. We lost this game. But there's, there's a lot to still be proud of about the performance. And it's about just you know learning from that, pushing that result completely aside and still reminding themselves that they've got incredible players within the team. And they've got a group of players that can really push other sides as well. This should be a really good game because, like you pointed out, uh, Southampton are, are on a roll as well. And Hassan Uttil, I mean, he's one of the most underrated managers in Europe. Don't forget, he came from Leipzig as well. Which And, and if you are, if you have coached Leipzig at any point in your career, then it's it's like essentially a seal of approval from the <laughs> gods of data analytics out there that you're one of the best in Europe. So, you, you know, it's, it, it's, this is going to be an intriguing game and it's, it's not over for Villa. I think they, they can easily bounce back uh, and build up on the, on the form that they've had in the first four games of the season. This one is the toughest one to call. Bob, who are you leaning towards here? Villa or Southampton? Actually, Villa, um, having sung the praises of uh, <laughs> uh, Ralph Hasenhutl, um, I, I mean, they got a reality check against yeah. Leeds. I think, I think they underrated Leeds. Uh, I, I really do. I mean, they were on such a roll. They, they were 100% uh, the only team in the Premier League to have a 100% record when they met Leeds. And I think they had delusions of, uh, of grandeur, you know, uh, being being top of the league and all that, um, but I, I think that uh, uh, Villa are quite a good side. Um, that was a bit of a shock to the system, but it was Leeds who come at you differently, as you say. And um, I don't think Southampton are quite as good as Leeds. Uh, mm. I think uh, after digesting what happened against Leeds, uh, taken the medicine, and uh, absorbed it all. Uh, I think you'll get back to seeing uh, Jack Grealish running the show um, and uh, Barclay and McGinn uh, in a, a big supporting role. And uh, I, I think they'll just have the edge. All right. Aston Villa against Southampton is Sunday, 8 p.m. That one kicks off. 
Newcastle in 14th take on top of the table Everton. It's a Sunday 10 p.m. game, that one. Now, the Geordies drew 1-1 at Wolves last week. And Keish, we saw Everton lose for the first time this season to a boy in Southampton, whom we just discussed. Um, well, they need to get back to winning ways. Uh, they don't want it to fall flat, Everton, do they? Yeah, I mean, if you look at if you look at if you juxtapose Everton's performance against Southampton, and then you compare it with Villa's performance against Leeds, I thought it was more of a concern to watch Everton. Um, I, I I felt they were completely stopped in their tracks. Um, the, the, it almost looked like project restart version of Everton, where they were struggling for a bit of of ideas on the pitch, despite having you know everyone there like your. James Rodriguez was playing. You know, you um, had Calvin Lewin up front. Um, it almost felt like they were just struggling to to create their chances. And and it's not it's not an overstatement to suggest that by this point teams would have figured out the kind of positions that James tends to take up on the pitch. He likes to operate down that right. And when he has someone like Ducore playing very close to him, he can play that quick one twos. He can create space for himself. Uh, but it's, that's exactly what he's been doing in the first few games of the season. And I thought against Southampton the other day, they completely blocked that area off and it caused a lot of problems because he was struggling to find space. Now, the key for Carlo would be to see how to add variety into the system because the four first few games of the season, he's had a system that has worked and he has not had a need to alter that system because it's been working and no one you know, found a way to kind of stop it. But, but Southampton have... Um, and it's, it's it's about seeing if they can bring in a bit of diversity, a bit of variety into their into their systems. Um, but you know, it's it, this is going to be a difficult one because you know what to expect out of Newcastle. They will sit deep. They will sit deep. They will put men on the ball. They will defend in a really, really, really low block. Um, and it's it's not going to be easy to get goals past them. And, and Everton could do really well to 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 bounce back, but it won't be an easy game. Yeah, um, the biggest headache for Ancelotti here is both fullback positions. Digne is suspended for this one. Now, right back last week, we saw Ben Godfrey. Uh, he's, it's, to be fair, it's not his position. He's a centre-back. Uh, he was asked to play right back. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. There, there's a call now for John Joe Kenny, Bob Holmes. Uh, John Joe Kenny had a good, decent stint uh, at Schalke last season in the Bundesliga. Uh, but... He's going to be going up against Alan Maxima, who tends to like to hang out along the left wing. Yeah. So it <laughs> should be interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would be quite something, wouldn't it? Uh, a bit of a baptism of fire for John Joe Kelly. Um, but uh, I don't... Uh, Coleman is, is still out, isn't he? Um, Chris Coleman um, for Everton. Um, that's why he's not playing. I uh, don't know what his injury uh, was, but um, that's a little bit of a problem. I know worry for Ancelotti um, because it can uh, sort of undermine quite a prospect and a goodbye. Uh, he is a centre-back. And as we've seen, it's not that easy. I mean, look at Gomez, for example, does it at Liverpool sometimes. Not that easy for a big guy without a tremendous amount of pace to suddenly switch to right back and expect to, uh, you know, cope with a flying winger such as St. Maximin. Um, so Newcastle, yeah, they've, they've got possibilities here. I'm sure that Steve Bruce will be thinking that this is a game they can win. 
And if they do, this is going to dampen all this early season hype about Everton. But Everton, I think, are, are better than they used to be. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, uh, they deservedly lost that game to Southampton and it was a reality check for them. But I still think they're a, a decent side and I think they'll have Richarlison back for this, won't they? If, if so, um, they'll have all their big guns apart from Dean. I mean, Dean is a defender, but he is a, one of their better players. Um, Calvert-Lewin will still be there. So uh, I, th- I think Everton have got a, a reasonable chance here. I think they'd take a point probably at this, at this stage, but this could be a very interesting game and we'll see really what Newcastle are, are like. Because as I say, they will sense that they can, they can get three points here. All right. 14th placed, top of the table. Newcastle against Everton is Sunday, 10 p.m. We're off for our final break. You stick with us back with the big games right after this. Lovely football, speed of that little passage of play. Stay on the ball on BFM 89.9. A two-goal lead, a picture of a goal, and that should be job done. Stay on the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back, back with Bob and Keish. Don't forget to check out our YouTube channel, TFIF on video. We have a new video out every Friday. Hey, it's Friday today. Hey, Man United in 15th, bottom half. Take on Arsenal in 11th, also bottom half. This one is your uh, Sunday night, Monday, half past midnight kickoff. Uh, I mean, United, I don't know. What, what will Solskjaer do for you now, Keish? Uh, after all the tactics in the Champions League, is he going to revert to the same for the league games? Yeah. Uh, see, see what, I, what I was expecting against Chelsea last week was that back three that we saw against PSG. Because that really worked for them uh, in terms of hitting uh, PSG on the break, having two men up front who completely ran their defence ragged. Um, it, I was expecting to see that, but instead what we got was we got a United side that, you know, moved, moved back to a back four. Uh, Tuan Zebe wasn't in the starting eleven despite impressing against PSG. Uh, and, and it was a drab, drab encounter against Chelsea. It, it looked like, you know, both teams just didn't want to win the game. And I can, I can understand that air of caution about it because for Chelsea, it was about, you know, having had a rough patch. It, it was just about preventing a defeat against a, you know, a top six side, which would have put even more pressure on Frank Lampard. And, and from the point of view of Solskjaer, it was about avoiding another Old Trafford defeat. after. But the onus was on them to attack. No, it was. It definitely was. I'm not, I'm not saying that what they did was the right thing, but I can understand why. I mean, essentially now, when you look at it on paper, it's wins over Newcastle, wins over PSG, a draw versus Chelsea, and a victory over a trashing of uh, Red Bull Leipzig all looks good on paper at the moment. Yeah. Right now, it, it could have gone wrong had they you know, lost that game against Chelsea. I'm not saying the approach was the, the right one to do, but the problem now becomes do they retain that similar approach that they had against Chelsea for this clash against Arsenal? I'm inclined to think not because I think now the, 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 the attention has been shifted away from that. I think most people don't remember that 6-1 loss to Spurs anymore. I mean, it's, it's sort of there in the back of your head, but after watching them smash five past Leipzig, you know, you know, get a win over PSG, that's that's Champions League finalists and semi-finalists in the span of one week, Ross. Uh, 
with a with momentum like that, it'll be incredibly ridiculous to go into a game like this and decide to you know employ a conservative approach to the game. So I'm expecting Solskjaer to be uh, to be a bit more adventurous. Um, with Marcus Rashford being rested, when he played 30 minutes the other day, yeah. uh, I know he scored a hat trick, but essentially on paper, 30 minutes. Bruno didn't play the whole game as well. Yeah. Um, Cavani would didn't play the you know he only featured towards the end. So. I think United will be a, a, a bit more adventurous in this game against Arsenal. Okay, well, they have to. They're at, they uh, are at home. <laughs> Arsenal played in the Europa League on Thursday, Bob. They beat Irish side Dundalk 3-0. It was a shadow Arsenal side led by Eddie Nketiah up front. and Pepe, again, showing signs of brilliance. Arteta's got a solid Arsenal. I think that's a fair statement this season. But do you think they, they've suffered attacking-wise a little bit? Because we, we, we've now seen no goals from Obama Young in five games now. Yes. What's going um, on? Yeah. Um, Obama Young is not really getting much service, is he? Uh, when you've got an asset like that, um, it's, it's a pity to see him underemployed, as it were. And they've got injury problems. I mean, so... They're so badly off for central defenders that Mustafi might even play. Uh, David Lewis is out, uh, could be out for a while. Uh, Rob Holding is out. Um, so they may not be as solid as they have been, uh, Arsenal. And uh, they, uh, they got beaten, uh, as, as, we, uh, as we said, uh, in the last game um, in the league. Uh, they got away with it against uh, Dundalk, who are, with all re due respect, not one of the stronger Europa League opponents. Uh, so they'll be glad to have got through that and to be top of their group. But there's not ideal preparation for facing Manchester United at Old Trafford. Uh, a Manchester United on a high, dare we say, on a roll. Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's a long time since we said that. Um, but I... I I really see United um, taking this one. I, um, I think Arteta will be stretched to organize something here with, uh, with that defense. And he will play hoping for a point or hoping to snatch something on the break. I mean, you've got Aubameyang against uh, a still shaky United defense. But I think with all that firepower United have got up front against a weakened Arsenal defence, uh, I would be surprised if United don't win this by a two-goal margin. I think Marcus Rashford is playing absolutely out of his skin. He's, he's grown in confidence as a man, not just as a footballer, with this whole thing about this, uh, this campaign of his. I think uh, people here and probably around the world generally weren't aware of this, uh, what he's doing until this week when, of course, he got all the publicity with a hat trick and tweeted. Uh, I think the tweets were 316 and 1 million and 30,000. And they were to indicate the goals, how long he took to score them and how many signatories he's got for his campaign, which is embarrassing the British government no end. So uh, he's he's absolutely full of confidence and um, it's great to see that. And I think it's beginning to rub off on his on his teammates. Yeah. And um, 
you know, Marshall won't be playing. He's suspended. But uh, I think there's a, I think we'll see more of Cavani this time than we've seen before. He may not start, but I think he'll, we'll see quite a bit of him. And that will be very interesting to see whether he's, uh, he's still got it. All right. Well, Marcus Rashford first burst onto the scene against Arsenal with a double in 2016. Man United against Arsenal is a Monday half past midnight kickoff. Uh, Tottenham uh, take on Brighton Monday 3.15 a.m. this one. Keish Spurs were beaten in the Europa League on Thursday night. They lost 1-0 at Antwerp. Uh, it was a shadow Spurs site, and immediately Jose Mourinho came out and said, I think I know who my players are. And you know what I mean? Almost like, ominously wearing a black cape with his cane and stuff. But uh, he doesn't trust the, the reserves much. I mean, it's, it's, it's so strange to be looking at this Spurs lineup and say that, oh, it's a, it's a shadow Spurs lineup. It's a reserve Spurs team. I mean, you look at that front three, Ross. There was Gareth Bale, Steve Bergwin, and there was Vinicius. How is that re- reserved by any category? I mean, these are three huge signings um, for, for Spurs, and a lot is expected out of them. And it's, it's not like they were up against a European powerhouse uh, either. I mean, they were up against... Royal Antwerp, who play in the same league as Lukman Hakim does, the Belgian Jupiter Pro League. It's and and it, I think a lot more is expected out of them in that in that game. And it's it's fair to say that they look drab. Um, they they struggle to to create chances in the final third. I think there were only glimpses here and there of of, of the combination between Gareth Bale and 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 the other front two. Um, there's still concerns over the fitness of Gareth Bale. I don't mm. think he's completely up to the mark yet. I'll be showing glimpses of it here and there. But, but um, his attitude is good. His attitude is right. Yeah, yeah. He, he looks like he wants to be a part of it. <laughs> <Yeah. this. He laughs> and the attitude is, for the first time in a very long time, we're seeing it in him as well, that, that desire to want to do well at club level. I mean, so it's great. In that sense, it's great. Um, what's concerning is, despite having that wealth of talent in the final third, um, they weren't able to create much. Um, against a side like Royal Antwerp. Um, and, and I mean, make no mistakes, when it, when it comes back to, to Brighton on Monday night, it's, it's, it's business as usual. You, you, you have your sons back on the page, you'll have your hurricane starting again, um, and it's business as usual. And you, we expect to see Spurs um, you know, at, at, at full force. Um, but games like this against Antwerp don't help, especially when you're on a, when you're on a good run of form and you're doing yeah. really well, yeah. but there's a lot of expectations yeah. on you. Um, and, and, and to go with the Europa League and to, to lose the way they did, especially for Ben Davies as well. He's under pressure with, with Reguilon coming in and taking his spot instantly in the starting 11. Um, and to make a mistake like that doesn't yeah. work well. Reguilon will be looking at that and say, hey, this is, this is exactly why I'm here. Yeah, yeah, good point, good point. Uh, Brighton, Bob, we've spoken about, we've already said how unlucky uh, they've been this season, despite playing well and losing. But having said all that, their away form... Uh, is one defeat in their last 10 away Premier League games. Three wins and six draws. I mean, for them, if they can pull off a draw here at the new Spurs Stadium, it would be massive for them. Yes, it would. Um, Brighton, yeah, we always thought of Brighton as being a home team. Uh, they, at one time, they had a, a decent record at the Amex, uh, even when they were really struggling. But um, since Graham Potter took over, 
Uh, he sorted out the defence, so they're quite formidable. They need that many, but that's, they don't score enough goals. And um, this is why they're down there struggling. And, I mean, the, they've got sort of half-decent strikers, but not top-notch. I mean, Trossard, he plays for Belgium sometimes. He's a reserve squad player, isn't he, for Belgium? Um, um, I mean, he's, he's decent, but, you know, he's not prolific, far from, from it. Uh, Mopé, also, similar thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, he turned over Arsenal, didn't he, um, famously, uh, last season. It doesn't seem that long ago. It was last season, that memorable game when... He really turned it round for Brighton um, by getting the, the keeper sent off. Um, but uh, they're organised um, and uh, they, they're quite decent to watch, but they haven't got the firepower and that's why they're going to struggle. Um, so Spurs ought to win this. But I, I was watching the highlights of the Spurs game against Antwerp and I kept hearing the commentators say, and he's shooting from range. And it was always from range. They never yeah. seemed to get into the penalty area. Yeah. And, and Gareth Bale had a couple of shots from like 30 yards and they were hopeless. And I, I thought, wow, is this the same Gareth Bale that they sold for a world record fee eight years ago? He someone, didn't look at it. Someone needs to say to him, Gareth, this is not golf, yeah? Yeah. Well, yeah, Calm it down. was like the he was on the driving range, you know, not <laughs> not really that bothered, just trying to loosen his shoulders. But he was he was way off it, and I mean, yeah, his attitude is supposed to be good, and he's not got injured yet, so those are the pluses. So he's he's due he's due one, isn't he? He's due one. I mean, this could this could be the game, I suppose, when it all you know he'll he'll score a hat trick or something. All right, Spurs versus Brighton, Monday, 3.15 a.m. kickoff. Elsewhere, you've got Wolves against Crystal Palace. That one is Saturday, 4 a.m. That's your Friday night game. Uh, tough one for Palace, but they're going good as well. Burnley in 18th, take on Chelsea, Saturday at 11 p.m. And you've got bottom of the table, Fulham against West Brom. If ever Fulham think they belong in the Premier League, this is what they absolutely have to win. Tuesday, 1.30 a.m. kickoff. That's it. That's all the time we have. So I'm going to say thanks to Bob Holmes. Thanks, everybody, and keep watching. And thank you to Kishnan as well. Cheers, Ross. Thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, I'll be back on Monday. You guys have a great weekend. Follow BFM Football on Facebook and catch On The Ball on BFM 89.9. It is now. It's ball. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.